The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. And the title of the message tonight is Speak and Do Not Be Silent. And I'll share with you in a moment, uh, you know, all that, that God has impressed upon me. But I, I really do believe we're living in a time where believers, it's, it, you know, look, there's a lot of challenges. This has been a very uh, challenging year. It's been a very rocky road uh, in many ways for all of us, you know, and thinking of fathers and heads of households and, and all of the challenges that have come about. But I want to say this, in spite of all the challenges, here's what the enemy wants. The enemy, because here's Paul the Apostle, who is moving through on a missionary journey for the second time all around the Roman Empire. And he is lighting fires, he is planting churches, he is starting from scratch. As we saw last week, he was in Athens. And tonight we're going to see him in the city of Corinth, which is a very different city. Athens is all philosophical. Corinth is a very worldly city in a whole different light. Um, but he had lots of opposition, lots of discouragement. He'd been beat up. He had been thrown in prison. Uh, rods had, had been beaten upon his physical body. He had been stoned once and left for dead. And he's in a place where, you know, he, here's Paul. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so his heart is on fire, but physically, mentally, and emotionally, he's tired and he's weary. And the enemy uses the weariness of the believers to try to get them to be silent. Here's what the enemy wants. He tries to wear the saints out. And he will threaten you, and if I can put, it's something that he has said 2,000 years ago and he still does today, look. Look, I know I've been getting some good punches in on you and your family, and I'll tell you what, if you'll just be quiet about your faith with all the chaos and turmoil, people are very angry and they get upset very easily, so if you'll just be quiet, I'll kind of leave you alone. I'll back off a little bit. And that's where the enemy was coming to Paul. Say, quiet down. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't need to create a commotion every time you go to a new city, just be still, just be quiet. And the enemy's like, and I'll back off a little bit. So what we're going to see tonight is what the Lord said to Paul, how the Lord ministered to Paul, how he encouraged the apostle Paul. And I believe it's, it's a word I would love and need to hear. How many of you would love to receive some encouragement tonight? So uh, look with me in verse one. In verse one, it says, now after these things, Paul departed from Athens. So we saw that beautiful place and that beautiful city last week. But then he goes from Athens, you know, where they had all of the philosophers and, and all of the intellectual uh, things that were happening there. And now he goes to Corinth. Now here's, if you're following along in the outline, uh, the life lesson from verse one, just right there. So he's moving from Athens, now he's gone into Corinth. And here it is, where sin abounds, Grace does much more abound. That's from the gospel, or it's from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 20. 
So Athens was a very worldly and, and a secular town. Corinth is a whole different ballgame. Corinth was a major city of the Roman Empire. It was an important crossroads of trade and commerce. But Corinth was a city that had a, a reputation for loose living, especially sexual immorality, literally of every kind that you could possibly imagine or not want to imagine. And this was permitted because they had a hill there and on that hill was a temple that was dedicated to a statue of a woman, an idol and her name is Aphrodite or some of you might know more the name Venus. She was known as the goddess of fertility and all manner of sensuality. And every evening, uh, they're, they're, you know, they would go at sunset and as they had their ceremonies and sacrifices and bowed down and worshiped to this female deity, there were over a thousand uh, temple priestesses that were basically prostitutes who would flow down the city in their long and loose gowns and then go into the very heart of the city of Corinth uh, to find someone. And the idea was that, so this is where, you know, people would go for business. This was where people would go for trade and for commerce. And, you know, they said, if, are you going to go live like a Corinthian? That meant, are you going to have some kind of a sexual, uh, sensual, you're going to worship Aphrodite while you are there. So that's what was literally going on. That's what this city was all about. If you've ever read uh, the book of Romans, one of the most famous chapters in Romans, especially for today, what's going on in our world with all the uh, sexual stuff, which look, it's nothing new. All the sensual, worldly, Aphrodite, Venus, um, appetites of the flesh, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, today is really no different than it was then. But what's interesting, so it was kind of like, the, the, again, the Las Vegas of the ancient world. But this was a place where now the Holy Spirit is leading Paul and saying, I want you to go there and I want you to plant a church. And in particular, this area, which was so, you know, so much immorality, so much uh, sensualness and all the rest of it, uh, this is where Paul wrote the book of Romans. Do you remember Romans chapter one? Romans chapter one that, you know, right now, if, you know, just reading. So if sometime you have a moment this week, just read Romans chapter one, where the apostle Paul is talking about men exchanging their natural desire for the opposite sex, now burning in lust and passion for the same sex and vice versa with women, and all of the things that are going on that it had you know, not worshiped the creator, but now we're worshiping the creation. Where, where did, so this is the worldly image Paul is writing. It's called the book of Romans because it is the most generic book to the entire Roman world that he wanted to send. Where was the apostle Paul when he wrote the book of Romans, when he started with Romans chapter one in this city, of Corinth, where there was Aphrodite, where there was Venus. And this is what Paul was seeing. This is, it's Corinth that Paul was writing about 
what he was talking about. But here's the good news. Because those who live and indulge and fall into and dive into the, all the lusts of the flesh, it has a way of quickly bringing you to a place where you are enslaved, you are entrapped, let alone the brokenness that can happen in marriages and other relationships, the, the brokenness and the shattering of the mind, the addictions that come, uh, and then you keep trying to regain that and you have less and less pleasure from it the further you get into it. And it's a trap. And it brings about great anxiety, great fear, great depression, great darkness. People have a great difficult time with all of that. So it's a perfect recipe for someone who has literally gone to the ends of their physical, fleshly, lustly desires and to cry out to the heavens, Oh, creator, whoever you are, can you rescue me from myself? Can you deliver me from my emptiness, my loneliness, this feeling of being trapped, while in the beginning it's so good and brings you such a high, and then to have the diminishing returns until you are now trapped in this cycle that is getting emptier and emptier, and even the hope of wanting to continue to live begins to fade away. So, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he went to Corinth. And everybody back then knew, oh, we know what that means. Wow. This would be an interesting story to see what God might do in Corinth. Verses 2 through 4. And I'll give this to you for your outline. When you need encouragement, and by the way, Paul really needed encouragement, because even when he had a brilliant you know, a sermon in Athens. It was a masterpiece. We talked about it last week. And, and yet he had very little fruit that came as a result of it. Now here he is in Sin City, as it were. He needed encouragement. And when you need encouragement, God will bring friends, I might add sometimes old friends, sometimes new friends, but God will bring friends into your life. Verse two, it says, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. I want you to just note this. There was anti, the spirit, and it's a spirit, of anti-Semitism, anti-Jew anti-Judaism, anti-belief that there's only one God, anti that the Jews say there's some kind of chosen people, that whole 2,000 years ago. And here we are today. It's such a bizarre, you know, the, the hatred and the animosity and the history. There's no other people in history or group of people, and there's not that many of them, 14 million, maybe around 14 million total out of seven billion people. And yet the, the virulent hatred against the Jewish people to this day cannot be explained rationally, philosophically. There's something spiritual about it. They are God's people. God does have a call upon them. In fact, Israel is the clock on the wall to tell the world what time it is. And the time that they're telling us is 
The king is coming and he's coming very soon. Get ready. Amen. But anyway, so here it is. I mean, we're 2,000 years ago. This, you know, worldly city. And what are we reading about? Anti-Jew, anti-Semitism. So verse 3, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked uh, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Of course, that was you know, the first thing that Paul would do every city that he went. So he goes to Corinth, and the first place he goes is to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he was there, you know, each Sabbath because the Jews had all of the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. All Paul had to do was plug in that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah and start with them. And then he could start at preaching to the Gentiles and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So here what we're told is that, you know, Paul, he goes there alone, goes ahead of some of his other friends and uh, those that would be with him, Silas and Timothy are going to come a little bit later, and he meets a couple, a Jewish couple, and, and we don't know if they became a believer when Paul ministered to them or they had already become believers, probably it was Paul, and they were tent makers. Paul was a tent maker. He's on a missions trip, but he had to work a little bit for you know, a little while so that then he could go back and do his ministry. So somehow he's, he comes to a new city. He goes, where's the tent makers? Oh, they do their trade over in that corner. He goes over there. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, a couple. And they have an open heart and they have an open home. So here's what I want to share with you this evening. We are in need. All of us, many of us are in need of new friends. And if God has put you together as a couple, have an open heart and have an open home. I encourage all of you to be part of a home fellowship, be part of a small growth group. We have growth groups all throughout San Diego County where you can learn and grow because that's where you do all the one another's. Pray for one another. Bear one another's burdens, comfort one another, listen to one another. Uh, you know, all the one another's, we, we, being a human being is hard. <laughs> and we need encouragement. We need friends who will, you know, be there with us through the tough times, the difficult times, the challenging times. And so in Corinth, this worldly city, Paul's got a big challenge ahead of him to plant a church here. This begins, when he meets Priscilla and Aquila, this becomes one of the most lasting, deep, beautiful friendships in the entire New Testament. They are referred to on a number of different occasions. Now, what's interesting is the name Priscilla. Priscilla is related to the root family name Prissa, which according to ancient history was a very well-to-do ancient Roman family that would not have only been in Corinth, but would have been in Rome, Italy, different places in the Roman Empire. And it's believed then that she was one of those families that has a name that, you know, we have families in the United States of America, and when you hear the name and you, the family, you know, we had a governor once. You remember Arnold Schwarzenegger? That's a family. And then, you know, the Kennedys and that comes together. So they're well known. Apparently, that's what Priscilla was, part of that family. She had a husband. 
and then they opened their home. How cool is this? How cool is this? They got to open their home to none other than the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament. How many would love to have Paul come to your house and have a Bible study? Invite your neighbors over. Yeah, we got this guy who was on this road to Damascus. He says he saw the Shekinah glory of God. He's seen Jesus. You want to hear about him? Yes. So that's where they were. So now here's another interesting thing. As we go through the book of Acts and, you know, more than half a dozen different times, this couple is mentioned. As we move forward, her name is mentioned before his. Priscilla and Aquila. Now that's very unusual, and especially from ancient times, they were very you know, orderly in the way they did things, and generally it was the man's name first, and then the wife's name would come second, but in this one, it was always Priscilla and Aquila. Now that may have been because her family name was so well known, just generally, as I mentioned to you from history, but there may be another reason that her giftings were such that her husband, a loyal man, faithful man, godly man, Christian man, believer, but his wife, it seems, is the one who had the gifts that really were, you know, leaned upon by the Apostle Paul. Of course, he used the couple and he was in their home, but Priscilla was a kind of a model and she was some, in some way helping to lead within the early church, and Paul could count upon this couple in this way. So I wanted to mention that because especially for all of my uh, lovely sisters here, as you read through the book of Acts, and as you read about uh, Aquila as they're introduced and uh, his wife Priscilla, but then it switches and you read Priscilla and Aquila. So what I want to say is that I think there is, there's more to this, and many of the commentators will say the same thing, that she played a crucial role in the early church. She had recognized gifts and abilities uh, that were recognized, and even the Apostle Paul, when he would write and mention this couple, he always put Priscilla ahead of Aquila, and I'm, I'm sure Aquila had no problem with that. My wife, he loves his wife, he honors his wife. But there have been times, and I just want to briefly mention it because it is kind of unusual. This couple is very unique and very special. And, you know, we, we want to pull out of the scriptures and out of the context what this may mean and how we can apply it to our own lives. In the history of ancient Israel, while it was often, you know, male-dominated and the priests and kings and all of that. There were moments and times in history where God would raise up a woman that, that to a place and to a position that was generally reserved for men. One of them in the Old Testament is a woman named Deborah. I don't know if you remember the story of Deborah, and yeah, Israel had, you know, it, it wasn't a, an emasculating thing. They had fighters, they had warriors, they had a general. He was, you know, a SEAL team type, tough Israeli soldier. He's not afraid to go to battle, but he says, I'm not going unless I got the Lord on my side. And he recognized that there is this lady named Deborah, and that woman is a woman of God. She is a woman of the Spirit. She hears the voice of the Lord. She knows the will 
of the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if I'm going to battle with my guys and our lives and our blood on the line, I want to know what the Lord is telling her. And in fact, to the point where he said, look, Deborah, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. That's pretty strong. It's pretty radical, pretty powerful. A man's man, military, leader, Israeli, special teams, guy is going, we want, because he wanted what the spirit had given to this woman, Deborah, at that particular time. Now, there's another time, a whole, in fact, a whole story is written, and this woman, you know, there's not many books in the Bible that are named after women, but this is one of them, and her name was Esther. You know the story of Esther. It was at a critical time in the history of Israel, and this Jewish girl that gets thrown into a strange you know, beauty contest because the king gets mad at his former wife and, you know, he says, I'm not going to, I'm done with you. I got to pick a new wife. So he says, I'm going to have a, you know, beauty contest. And she gets chosen. He doesn't know she's Jewish. And literally Esther in this story arises to be the one to help save the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. And God names an entire book out of the 66 books of the Bible, there's a book named after a woman called Esther. There's another one that is called Ruth uh, and her whole story because she's related to the family of David. But she's a whole other story because she's a Gentile and a Moabitess. They had a curse on them supposedly for 10 generations. And God takes a woman who is a Moabite whose family had a curse and says, nope, you're going to marry this guy named Boaz and through you is going to come her grandson would be none other than David, whom God Almighty would say out of all the people in the Old Testament, he said, that man, David, is a man after my own heart. The way he worships, the way he lives, he sinned greatly, but he repented greatly. He had a depth and intimacy with God that literally Jesus when he referred to himself of all the titles he could choose, he seemed to love to say, I am the son of David. So I mention this because uh, here we have Priscilla and Aquila and all of these things <clears throat> that are happening here. So what I want to mention to you is God brought a couple and he brought friends into the life of the apostle Paul. And I believe that we should be open to friends and have an open home and an open heart for what God may want to bring in a way of encouragement to all of us. Can I hear an amen? Okay, verse uh, five. I'm going to just take this one by itself. It says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. So now Paul's not alone anymore. He's got Priscilla and Aquila. But now he has Silas, his brother and friend, and he's got Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Christ or the Messiah. So here's what I want to say here. The honor of being a spiritual father. This was, this was another way of encouragement. One encouragement was to bring a new couple, new friends into the Apostle Paul's life. The other one is he brings now his spiritual sons. So I want to say this, um, you know, look, we're, we're a family. And one of the beautiful things that I like to describe about the church is that we're, 
we're a new and another family that you, you have your own family, but then we get all of these individual families and we come together here and we're a bigger family. And, and what's cool about it is you get a whole new set of Christian brothers as well as Christian sisters and you can adopt spiritual sons as well as spiritual daughters and it's also a place where you can be adopted by a spiritual father in a way I'm like a spiritual father as your pastor uh, you know the title is shepherd which has to do with the leader of sheep and and you know it's it's very close to the heart of the Lord Jesus loved calling himself the, the shepherd of the sheep but so in a sense I feel like I've adopted all of you. You're my children. You're my spiritual sons and daughters. I pray for you. And when I hear things about you or whatever, I'm praying and, and coming before the throne of God, praying for Maranatha, praying for the families, praying for my sons and daughters. And I want to just say that you can do that too. You can adopt others and, and, you know, where it's spiritual. I mean, it's not literal. It's not by physical blood. But, it, you know, Peter called Mark in the Bible, my son. The apostle Paul refers to this younger man named Timothy as, quote, my true son in the faith. So what I want you to realize is as we read the Bible, as we go through the Bible week by week, we're not just learning about what God did in the past, but we're learning things that we can pick up and emulate and practice and do and put into our own lives. So I don't know if anybody's ever told you that intentionally, but there may be someone that this will be an entirely new, fresh concept to you, and maybe you already have them, but you never realized, wow, when I think about it, yeah, she's like my sister. He's like my brother in the Lord, and it's a beautiful thing. You care for one another, you pray for one another. And uh, so, you know, here, here's a scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Let's read this out loud together. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So I, I just love that. Now, you know, we're not getting weird about this because there's a place where Jesus said, let no man call you father. And so why does he say that? And now here's Paul, uh, you know, calling Timothy his son. Peter calls Mark his son. Here in 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel, meaning they got saved through him. What Jesus was warning about is where you give a title where you're, you know, kind of using it to lord over people or, or you're taking advantage of people or it's some pride thing. It's, it's not a title that you're to be proud or put your pride into or use to manipulate. It's in a spiritual sense, in a healthy sense. Does that make sense? <laughs> so when Timothy came and Silas, they brought Paul some very, very good news. Because, you know, Paul's traveling from place to place. So they've stayed behind, and now they finally land in Corinth, and they come to Paul, and they go, hey, we went back to Thessaloniki. Because all of these, you know, Athens, Corinth, Thessaloniki are all in the country of modern-day Greece. 
So they went to Thessaloniki where earlier, months earlier, Paul had planted a church. And so Paul, like a spiritual dad, is going, how's the church doing? And they go, we have really, really good news for you. They're doing great. They are growing. They are spiritually thriving. They really did hear the message. They really did get saved. Now they're diving into the scriptures, which would have been for them the Old Testament, but they're finding Jesus all the way through. So Paul said, oh, that's so cool. That's such good news. And in Corinth, he sat down and he said, I want to write a letter to that new church that just got planted. And it's called First Thessalonians. It's in your Bible. So it's a short little letter, tiny little book. But sometime maybe this week, you could read First Thessalonians and know that Paul wrote it while he was in this very worldly, sensual, Las Vegas-like town called Corinth. But he wrote a very special, precious letter to the Thessalonians. And then they also brought him more news because Paul had previously, on his journeys, planted a church in Philippi. So, you know, uh, Silas and Timothy go, we've got even more good news for you. Paul's like, good, I need some good news. And I said, well, the church in Philippi knows about your travels and they know you're, sometimes you have to do tent making to try to make it and they want you to just full on, full time, be devoted to going to the marketplace and witnessing and sharing Jesus and talking to the Jews on, on the Sabbath and, and they wanna help. So we got, they, they took up an offering and they're giving you this money so that when you go to the next place, and even now, you don't have to work and try to do ministry and work at the same time. So you can just full on do. And that became kind of the pattern for how things would move and how the church would grow. And it's just such a wonderful and a beautiful thing. And I, I wanted to you know, say to all of you, because you know, so here we are, we're a church, and and we've grown, uh, you know, and we have this amazing facility. And you, you that, you know, give here, that you worship here, this is your family, your community or whatever. So, so obviously, you know, and we've just redone inside and outside. But I wanted to let you know something that happened recently uh, that's very, I think, very precious uh, and, and sad at the same time. There was a young couple of detectives. I don't know if you heard or saw this. It was pretty big news made national news, uh, and they were driving on the freeway, and there was another person coming the opposite direction, and I don't know all the details, but they were going way too fast, and, and they lost control, and that other person went into this, and the two detectives were a husband and wife, both, you know, uh, detectives in different departments, and they both hit that car and were killed instantly. And so, Anyway, somehow I got a call uh, from a former friend, pastor of mine, and he said, Ray, he goes, this, you know, this has rocked, uh, you know, the world of our departments and the police uh, here locally, and we need a big place because everybody's going to be landing and coming together, and could we possibly use Maranatha? And I said, absolutely. So... I, I'm telling you, it was very moving because I realized, you know, and by the way, we have a lot of military as well as police and fire people and emergency workers, and I honor all of you, and I realized this last year, 
especially for the police, has been a very rocky year. And I just, it was our opportunity to just say it's our honor and our privilege to give you guys who lay your lives on the line for us all the time. It's yours, you know, there's no charge. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. My whole staff is available to you so that you can bring comfort to these families. And that happened. So thank God. I mean, I'm thinking of right, right out there on the street in the main entrance coming in, they had the two fire trucks and they do the ladders like this and they had the American flag and all the media was here. It was just amazing. So what I, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is this house is not only a house for us to do Bible studies and worship together, but it also is a community house that even recently we were able to open up to the community as a place of healing and a place of seeking the Lord. And I think it was a very good witness also letting them know we love you, we're behind you, we pray for you, and we want to encourage you. So anyway, let's look at uh, verses six and seven. It says, but when they opposed him, so the last verses where Paul, you know, here's all this good news and he's starting to minister to the Jewish people about Jesus being the Messiah. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, okay, this, is, this has gone to another level. Uh, it's one thing to oppose, you know, people that are sharing what was then for them new about Jesus and his resurrection. But it's another thing when they blaspheme. That probably means that they were blaspheming Jesus as the Son of God or as the Messiah. Uh, and it's very, very, very serious. When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from them and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, uh, one who worshiped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. So here's what I want you to note here. To walk by faith. I mean, Paul's having to walk by faith on this journey, on this missions trip. And sometimes, not only for apostles, but for believers living in the year 2021, to walk by faith means to see opportunities even in the midst of opposition. I'm sure that there, it, it, when you decide, like, and, and there's many people that at the end of this last year that's been so crazy, and all the chaos, who have decided they were maybe already believers, but they go, you know what? With everything that's going on in this world, yes, I was a believer, but I'm going to lean into my faith deeper. I am intentionally saying, I don't want to take my faith for granted. I'm going to, get, I'm going to go deeper into the word. I want, to go, I want to grow spiritually. I really want to know what I believe and why I believe it. And I also would like to make a difference in this world. The moment you make that kind of a adjustment in your life, on the one hand, the angels are going, wahoo, and they're encouraging you and cheering you on. And on the other hand, the enemy's going, uh-oh, can't ignore that one anymore. I gotta take some pot shots. So there will be 
When opposition comes, I want you to know, don't be discouraged. Especially if you have decided in some way or another this last year or so that you're wanting to lean into the Lord and now you've got all this opposition. The enemy is, will tell you, in a manner of speaking, look, if you'll back off your spiritual pursuit and stop being so zealous and crazy and just be normal, which means just be lazy and do what you used to do when you weren't really leaning into it and paying attention, he goes, I'll back off. Let me, let me remind you, the devil is a liar. He's, not, he's never going to back off. In fact, he'll say back off and, and you know, you back off, I'll back off, you back off and then he doesn't back off and he goes, ha, 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 I'm a liar. I'm gonna take advantage of you and he piles on to you and then makes you guilty. How are you supposed to go to church, read the Bible and now you're, you've backslidden and all the rest of it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse nine. Uh, let's read this out loud. For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So on the one hand, Paul's going, wow, the doors all over the world are open. I'm planting churches in big cities, powerful cities like Athens and Corinth around the empire, and there's many adversaries. There's much opposition. So what I wanna say to you is, that's actually a good thing. That's confirmation you've made the right choice. When the enemy opposes you, it means you're serious. And you should be able to take it a little bit as a badge of honor, like, huh, wow, so it's real. The whole spiritual world is real. My walk with God is real. And don't be discouraged. Keep walking, keep pressing in, keep seeking the Lord. God is at work, so be encouraged. Amen? And then he's, so what is, you know, Paul gets kicked out. Not only did they blaspheme, they kicked him out of the synagogue. Maybe you feel like you've been kicked out. So what does Paul do? All of a sudden, suddenly he meets this guy named uh, Justice, and it turns out that the guy is a believer and says, you can use my home for your new church in Corinth. And Paul goes, well, where do you live? And he goes, I actually live right next door to the synagogue you just got kicked out of. I find that hilarious. You're out of here. They're blaspheming. Get out of here. Like, you know, get out of our whole town or whatever. And Paul goes, okay. And then he just goes next door. Starts doing Bible studies. Literally right next door. And that's, that's God. God is funny. I think, how many believe God has a sense of humor? He sets us up. I think sometimes he's laughing. Hey, if you think it's funny, ironic, weird, you know, God's like, oh man, dude. He goes, I've got all those synagogue people set up. They're not getting rid of you. You're just gonna go next door, just sing a little louder. (laughs) (laughs) But look with me the next verse. Verse eight. So Paul sets up shop, starts a church in the house right next door to the synagogue. Verse eight, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, the head Jewish rabbi, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. How cool is that? 
Not only does Paul get kicked out, he just goes, okay, I'll go next door. God opened, yeah, there's the guy who lives next door to the synagogue, says, come into my house. He comes into his house. So now every day and every week and every Sabbath, Paul is there sharing and the Jewish people hanging around. And one of those who you know, started coming around and asking questions, probably because rabbis like to battle. They like to argue. They like to debate. Paul, you said this, but what about that? What about this prophecy? Paul's a Pharisee. His whole life has been memorizing the law. He knew what it meant to be an Orthodox Jew from stem to stern. He's like, okay, bro, let's open the scriptures. Let's see what it says. And he, you know, bro, he said in the original Hebrew, I'm just sharing with you in modern. And the guy, and the head of the whole synagogue gets saved, becomes a believer. And that must, have gone, that must have gone not only from Corinth to the entire Jewish world, that story. And how many other Jewish people followed their rabbi who became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's just absolutely incredible. So let's close with verses 9 through 17. So still, Paul's got a lot of opposition. But here, my point in the outline is do not be afraid. Speak for the Lord is with you. Look with me at verse nine through 11. It says, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I want you to realize, look again in verses 9 through 11 here, because you're going to get an insight into what was the thinking of the Apostle Paul. How do we know what Paul, the Apostle Paul was thinking? Because of what Jesus said to him. He says, number one, do not be afraid. What's that tell you about the Apostle Paul? He was afraid. Yeah, he might have been an apostle and he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he was a human being who had been stoned and left for dead, who had been beaten with rods, who knew you know, physical pain and suffering, and he's afraid. These people hate me, my message, and they're blaspheming. It's like going, you know, when people, like this last year, there were people that were doing some nasty things. Uh, you know, some of the things where, I don't know, there were riots or whatever, and then, you would see some poor person just get, just get beat up and, and even killed. It was just horrible. Paul was afraid. Do not be afraid. And then what does the Lord say? But speak. What is Paul thinking? Maybe I should quiet down. Things are going good, but maybe I should calm down. Maybe I should quiet down. The enemy is saying to him. And what does the Lord say? Speak and do not keep silent. Paul, you're doing good. My hand is upon you, I've anointed you, I'm using you, I'm planting churches. And the Roman Empire, even though these churches are in tiny homes, in the middle of a huge city of thousands, tens of thousands of people, what I am planting here will remain for several thousand years, but the Roman Empire will come crumbling down. So do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I, so here's his promise, I am with you. I think Paul felt alone. And the Lord came and said, you're not alone, Paul. I'm with you. 
and no one will attack you to hurt you. What does that tell you what Paul was thinking? He's remembering having maybe dreams or nightmares about being hit with a rock in the face or in the back of the head or with a pipe or a piece of wood. And he's afraid. I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to suffer. And what does the Lord say? Do not be afraid. Speak. Do not keep silent. I am with you. You're not alone. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. There's a lot of people. Stay here, Paul. Don't just move on quickly. Stay here. And so Paul did. And guess what? He didn't get beat up. He didn't get thrown in prison. He didn't get stoned. Even though the rhetoric was blasphemy, we're going to kill you. Nothing happened. And Paul stayed for a year and a half. Any church that gets the apostle Paul for a year and a half teaching them every week and unveiling all the revelations of Jesus out of the scriptures. He planted a deep, powerful, strong church there. So we'll close verses 12 through 17. It says, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So now they, they don't do the physical beating up thing. Now they're going to go political. We're going to arrest, you know, arrest you and take you before the court. Saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, these were the Jews who rejected the message of Jesus, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, you look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all of the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But Callio took no notice of these things. So they're so mad, they want to bring him to, to court. So they go into this Roman court and they go, they're preaching stuff that we don't like. And the Romans are going, look, we don't, we don't even understand Judaism and your history and your laws. And this is another guy with some other interpretation. We do not want to be theologians. This doesn't belong in our court. You go take care of yourself. They're so mad. They take the Jewish guy because they don't like the Jews. They beat this guy up and, and then they let it go. But in a way, what, what, that, what Gallio decided was very helpful. And it's helpful even in today because you know, there's been various encroachments of the government and what churches can or cannot do. But let me tell you what uh, is still protecting us in many ways is they have to be careful because when they wanna come in and tell us you can do this or you can't do that, and we go, but this is what we believe from the Bible, their judges do not wanna get put in the position of having to interpret the Bible to a bunch of people that they may or may not even agree with. Does that make sense? We don't wanna get, we don't wanna go in there. Uh, look, there's, you know, there's 30,000 denominations of Christianity. You, are you gonna be the expert on all that? No. So even it was a protection then, it was almost like Christians could hide by being part of the religious culture and with Judaism and say, yeah, we're, we're kind of Jewish, but we're a little different, but they're like, yeah, fine, leave, just, don't come to our courts. You guys handle it yourselves. So that's where the Apostle Paul landed, and it even helps us to this day. Thank God that we say we love the Bible, 
we follow the word of God and we still have that freedom in the United States of America. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's all stand. Bow your heads and... Father, we just come before you and thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, tonight. I thank you for those who are here. We pray that your anointing and blessing will be upon each one. Lord, may we hear what you're saying to us as far as spiritually uh, adopting as spiritual fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters that we might love one another and encourage one another for such a time as this. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.